In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. How are you feeling today? This is awesome. I'm feeling great. Feeling awesome? <laughs> I'm feeling awesome. Yeah. So awesome to have you here today. I'm so excited to hear your story and sort of, you know, where you're at, how you got there and sort of where you're going. So I guess the opening question for you will be what has, ins- where are you right now in life and how'd you kind of get there? <laughs> okay. Long question. <laughs> That's a long question. So uh, stop me if I, if I, if I go off the rails here, but the years where this year has been good for me and where I'm going about two years ago, I started my company called truth in between. And that was my writing venture. As I saw what I thought was, this is well before COVID, of course, what I saw is our country fraying and it became an opportunity for me to connect with people and to connect people across ideological differences. And when COVID hit, I pivoted that really quickly and I'm now connecting students often with seniors or even with each other. So for me, I just love to see those news, new ways where people are actually slowing down to write. So a lot of it is actual writing. Some of it's, you know, writing via email, but they're actual letters. And some of it is actual handwriting, you know? And this year I took it up a notch just recently, just in early October. And I started a podcast that kind of goes along the same lines. And it's called Hold My Drink, Navigating the News and Politics with a Chaser of Civility. (laughs) (laughs) And the idea was, it's kind of like PBS with a beer, right? We wanted everyone to feel comfortable where it wasn't something that was speaking over most people's heads, but we feel like, or I feel like a lot of people are feeling confused and alone and divided. And so it was an opportunity for me to connect people in in just yet another way to come together and find community. And so through both Truth In Between and the Hold My Drink podcast, I have found new ways this year that we've taken to slow down and to actually connect. And for me personally, to hear those stories, other people's stories, but then to also share with them, my thinking in, in a civil way has been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. So that's where I'm at right now. And I'm grateful for this year allowing me that time to get here. Mm-hmm. I love that. I <laughs> love that. So what inspired you to get into this realm and start Truth In Between? So my, uh, my whole background is international relations. Since I was a kid, I grew up in country. It's now called Myanmar. It's called Burma when I lived there. And I just grew up loving to connect with people who had complete different life experiences from me. So my whole life, I went on to study international relations. I've been an international relations expert. And it was, I was always looking at the U.S., from the outside in. So I lived in China, I lived in Thailand, I lived in Indonesia, and I just, I love this country. 
I mean, I think there's just, there's so much awesomeness here and um, particularly our multiculturalism. I just think it's, I think it's great. And also living in countries like China where I have seen firsthand, we talk a lot about authoritarian this, authoritarian that, but to really see what that means in real life. And I've actually had my own brush-ins with, with true authoritarianism. I really came to appreciate what this country had to offer. And when I saw us turning on each other and fraying from the inside out, I said, you know, I wonder if my skills connecting with people outside can help us here in the United States. So I took all that skill set of connecting across differences and started to turn it inside. And it really does started, Pamela, with my son. And about two years ago, when this all started, he came home and he was sounding like a Twitter feed. So he was making these pronouncements without a lot of critical thought or backing behind it. And, you know, this voice in my head said, stop, just, you need to, you need to stop and you need to work with him on critical thinking. And I brought him in and he and I started writing together. And of course he's young, he's in high school. So that lasted for a couple of months. And then, you know, he, could, he didn't have the stamina. <laughs> although, although our, my last podcast, he was my host. So yeah, and that was really fun. So it, it really was, it was an instinct that I think I developed very young to connect, but then it was also a motherly instinct too, where it was just like, you know, we, we have to teach our kids. I mean, it starts with them. It starts with them. If we, if what we're modeling is this lack of communication, this division, this Twitter-like animosity, how, do, how are we going to expect it to get better? So it really, it started, the impetus started with my son and then with a skill set I felt that I had developed, you know, just by my own life experiences since I was young. Right. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so it just started with him and then it just sort of, how did it, how did you grow it? So I started writing, you know, I have, I have a blog, I have a website, but then I also started writing on a website called medium, medium.com. So it's okay. like where a lot of writers are and lo where a lot of writers connect and that I, I ended up just following people who also were interested in, in policy and politics and whatnot. Also other things like race and the other things that are like the thorny issues that seem to be the most divisive. And I literally just reached out to a lot of these writers and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to connect? And then it, it just, it kind of steamrolled from there. So I would be the one writing them Yeah, I usually tried to find someone who thought differently than me. So I consider myself a classical liberal in the political sphere, which means in this day and age, I really don't like labels, but for the you know, sake of you know, <laughs> having to find some way to compartmentalize, that makes me fit a little bit more in a, a conservative mindset. And so I found people who didn't think like me. And I was like, hey, let's like, let's write letters. Let's figure out how this came to be. And then people started saying, hey, I want, I want to write a letter. I want to do this. And then I started connecting. I became like a connector. And I would find people of different races, different genders, different whatever, and say, hey, I've got a, I've got a, you know, a pen pal for you. You guys have to, but it has to be published on my site. And so people started to come out to me and say, hey, I, I want to get involved. How do I get involved? And it really just started like that. And now same kind of thing with the podcast. I've just developed such a network through doing that. And I'm just reaching back out to these really fabulous people who followed me along in this journey and said, time for, you know, round two. <laughs> I love 
it. That's so amazing. <laughs> and so growing up, you talked about you had lived in different countries and things like that. What was your, who's your source of motivation, you know, grow, growing up? If you had, well, I mean, if it's your parents yeah. or if it's some sort of figure, all that. Because it's just like, I feel like when you're in a multicultural environment, there could be so many different spheres of influence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of ways to answer that. I will say, you know, just my, my, my parents are my, I'm very blessed that way. Um, they always just, they loved new experiences. And so I, you know, I grew up, you know, not being afraid to try something new or to take new experiences. And what was nice though, too, is because I had such a strong family background that gave kind of a support yeah. to, for me to go ahead and, 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 and take some risks in my life. And so uh, I really look up to my parents for, for providing me with that, that mentality and that attitude very, and just the experiences, but you know, it's just the, the people I met, I'll go back to when I lived in Burma. So I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up in middle America where that was the norm. And all of a sudden I'm in Burma now called Myanmar at the time. And I, I still believe Myanmar is one of the few countries that is the government is Buddhist. I think Thailand is the other, I might not have that right, but it, for sure at the time it was a Buddhist government. So to that was, I mean, you, can you imagine I was, I don't know, I was in fifth grade, I believe it was. And so to be pulled from middle America to a country that no one had really even heard about that, you know, celebrated its religious holidays in completely different ways. And so I just was fascinated. And not only that, but Burma, even though Buddhism is the primary religion, huge group of Hindus, as well as Muslims. And so working alongside my family, we had a Hindu, we had a Muslim, and we had, you know, Christians. And so I got to be a part of these holidays and these festivals and to see how people loved and how they lived. So I'm not answering your question directly on like, what was, was there a role model? But I mean, all these people were role models yeah. for me and to see, and you know, from there I came back and while I still, you know, maintain my, my personal beliefs and whatnot, I just saw how people loved and they lived and how they practiced that. And that type of tolerance, particularly with religion, because that was just a, is a big way when you're young of how you celebrate life, right? I mean, that, that underlines a lot of how we celebrate in our, our life views and perspectives and attitudes and whatnot. And so there wasn't one person in particular outside of my family, but I saw that modeled in so many ways. Yep. Yeah, that's why I asked you, I was like, what are the spheres of influence? Yeah. I feel like when you get exposed to a multicultural experience, like every single place that I went to, I was inspired by something, yeah. something different. So it's like, there's, oh man, that's so cool that you got those experiences. And you know, what's really awesome is when you're in those places and you're, you're celebrating and you know, it's people from all different backgrounds, you start to realize that we really are one. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, we're all connected. It doesn't matter. Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, like at that moment, nobody cared, right? Everyone was just celebrating together. Right. Yeah. And it, it was, it was truly beautiful. It was an experience. I think, you know, I, I, I really touch on the religious experience because it was experience that I would never have had yeah. in my middle America upbringing. And I would think that that 
probably impressed upon me. And, you know, just not that, not that if you grow up middle America, you're closed minded, not at all, but not seeing how other people celebrate in love and then seeing it, I think did a lot for who I am and who I became. And the, again, the respect and the tolerance for other ways of being in this world. And, and then at the, you just said something, Pamela, you're so right. And to see that you still, I mean, you love your children too. You know, I mean, there's so much commonality. I mean, we're all just trying to, there, I think it was Ram Das who has a great quote that says, we're all just here to walk each other home. Yep. It's a you beautiful, know? beautiful quote. And so that brings us back to here. That brings us back to America. And what I'm trying to do now, when I saw how I could connect with people who are so incredibly different, and now I'm seeing, you know, a similar opportunity in the United States where all of a sudden we see each other more and more as the other, as the foreigner, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to bring that experience back home. I really do believe we're all here to walk each other home. Red, blue, you know, black, white. (laughs) And I focus on politics, you know, as the main dividing line, there's a lot that goes into that to, to unpack, but I focus on that because I see that as the foundation of a lot of where we're becoming disunited right recently so and and being a political scientist kind of have me (laughs) my background is in that so so that's where I gravitate that's awesome so what what was your tipping point that you like you that you realized that international relations was your thing because I know that that was part of your journey and now of course truth in between is a little bit further down but how did you get into that in sort of the first place what was the uh, aha moment tipping point Well, that's a little bit of a funny story. Again, when I, after my experience being young, when I went to college, I knew I was going to study international relations. So my tipping point was that, you know, early life experience. But what's so funny is I went to a small liberal arts school for undergrad. And so international relations, you've got to take a language. And I was taking French and I knew I wanted to go to Asia, but I was taking French. And I I said, well, I don't know, in Vietnam, they used to speak French. <laughs> That's how I kind of justified it, right? You know, you know they, don't, they don't speak French in Vietnam. I mean, maybe some, you know, some really old people. It's not, you know, it's not an official language or anything like that. And my, my small liberal arts school only had two Asian languages. I thought, well, I really wanted to live in Southeast Asia. That was what I'm familiar with, with Thailand, Thailand. But in order to have, to graduate, you had to have a certain amount of language. And so since they didn't offer Thai, I was like, well, what do I do? And my advisor was like, you got to stop taking French if you're going to go to Asia. Like, that's so stupid. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you got a point there, right? <laughs> so my, my choices were Chinese or Japanese. And I had a, when I was younger, when we were traveling, you know, over the, across the world, we had a quick stop in, in Tokyo and I had a slightly unpleasant, you know, run in with a stranger in Japan. And I also had been to China. And so I literally, my decision to, to learn Chinese was just based almost on a whim. It was like, wow. well, I guess I'll take Chinese instead. It was, that, so that part of my life somewhat accidental and it was one of the best decisions that I ever ended up making. So China is, became my specialty within international relations, sp- wow. you know, speak Chinese, you know, have, have worked in China for over a decade now. And it, and really when China was just started to come up on the world stage. So I kind of caught a wave. I didn't even realize I was catching. Wow. And that really shaped pretty much the rest of my professional trajectory. So almost everything I did, I worked at a a geopolitical intelligence firm Stratfor 
and I ran there at China programs and moved up through there. And then I worked with some venture capitalists on some of their China projects that they're working on. And then, you know, like I said, once things started to feel like they were being torn apart in the United States, I still focus often on international relations. I still haven't, I mean, I just, I love overseas and traveling overseas so much. And I love Asia so much. It's so different from anything in the United States, but yeah, I've, I've started to, to take all that and, and, and turn it inwards. Interesting. So what was it like living and working in China as a foreigner, basically, right? <laughs> well, you know, I've, yeah, I, I've got a great, you know, uh, a great story actually from that. And that's, that really goes back to the whole idea. You know, I said, I, I know what it's like to live in an authoritarian yeah. country. And what's kind of funny is as a foreigner, yeah, I almost, you almost feel more free. Like there's no drinking age, you know, as if, you know, in, in China, it's really funny too, because you're already living in China. You're already seen as kind of an outsider. So I remember a lot of mornings, I just walked to Starbucks in my pajamas and no one looked at me any differently than if I was in like a three-piece suit because it's like I was, I was already, you know, kind of set apart. So you right. kind of felt, I'll, I'll go to Starbucks in my pajamas. I don't care, you know, <laughs> but there was a time it was, it was well after Tiananmen and, you know, in Tiananmen Square back in 1989, a lot of dissidents came to the United States and I was there for a big UN meeting. And I forgot what, you know, what year it was, but it, one of the dissidents from Tiananmen had come back to visit his mother at the same time as this huge UN meeting. And somehow I became friends with this guy. I don't really remember how I was working with Duke University at the time in Beijing. And already China was on high alert because there was a lot of huge UN delegations. I believe Hillary Clinton came over. It was a big women's meeting. So it was already a, a very kind of um, highly politically charged event. But I remember having dinner with this guy. We all were staying in the same apartment, uh, myself, another American friend, and then this, this Chinese dissident who'd come back to visit his mom. And he was allowed back for the first time because his mother was sick from since Tiananmen. And there, it was probably on the sixth floor of a you know walk-up apartment complex. And we were literally followed 247 by the government. And the thing is, it wasn't even, it, they wanted you to know that you were being followed so that you didn't ever go out of line. And, and I mean, literally you'd, oh, you'd walk up this, you know, humid summer stairwell, you know, concrete stairwell, six stories high and literally like, right. I mean, you could turn around and like reach out to them. And then when we, we, you know, get into the apartment, hang out, have dinner, do whatever. And we'd leave and they'd literally be standing outside the door. And so, and this went, went on for days. We'd go to a restaurant and they'd, go in around the restaurant and so some of them would be in the um in the actual kitchen of the restaurant in case any of us tried to go out like the back door and then some would be in the front what? back up for a second i love china i love chinese history i love chinese people i mean the history is just fascinating yeah. to me but you know the government is very 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 different from ours and so experiences like the one I shared there are the experiences that I took back home, you know, to America where, so now when I hear a lot of people speaking often off the cuff, oh, authoritarian, this authoritarian, that I'm like, oh, I got an authoritarian story for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think it's my mission because I think that we have so much to offer that I don't want us to slide into you know, authoritarianism. And I think the most important thing is for us to work together yeah. in order not to do so. So, I mean, experiences like that is exactly why it became more imperative for me when I saw us talking across each other and not really hearing other sides that we, that we found, found solutions so we don't backslide or what, I guess not backslide, but slide into right. something that none of us want. Right, interesting. One thing that I had a question for you was also like, because you've been exposed to so many diverse cultures and seen so many different things all around the world, what has been like your mantra since you were, since you were younger, has it shifted? I don't know. Maybe it went, it changed a little bit as you sort of grew older, but I'm always interested to see like, what's the, what's the mantra behind you, you know, going through these experiences? Ooh, that's a good question. What's the <laughs> mantra? <laughs> I mean, I think maybe I would just go back to kind of the, the Ram Das quote that I gave. We're, we're all here to walk each other home. And I also believe having someone who studied Chinese, I really love Taoism. I love Taoism. And one of the things that the Tao teaches you, you know, the Tao, the way, is that everyone is a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, from someone as, quote, lowly. I mean, that's all a matter, you know, of how we grade people, so, you know, in a socio spectrum. So it's, quote, lowly as, say, a janitor mm-hmm. to someone as high as a king. I think that everyone has something to teach us. Uh, and so that's where I just, even, even those people who rub you the wrong way or, you know, who you just want to <laughs> take them by the shoulders and shake them, uh, which I want to do often, like everyone else does. Uh, but I try to go back and, and at least be thankful mm-hmm. for those experiences because we choose how we are shaped by all of these experiences. So I would say a lot of my outlook has been shaped by Asian philosophies mm-hmm. that I, I grew up with. And again, just, you know, repeating myself, I, I really, I love Taoism. One of the biggest things in Taoism is that water is the strongest force, right? So water being as malleable as it is, it's, I mean, we have the Grand Canyon because of water. It's also like the strongest force. And so being like water and being able to kind of shift around your environment and yet still being strong is something that I, I really, I, I buy into. I think that's one of my, my own personal, I try to be like water. <laughs> I love that. And, and adapt, you know, you be adapt. Able to adapt and shift and all of that. And I think right. it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm makes perfect sense. And, and adapting doesn't mean that you are, don't have a backbone or a spine or that you don't have anything that you kind of ground yourself in or your foundation, but it just means that you are capable of, you know, those twists and turns while still yourself shaping, you know, those twists and turns in that, that trajectory of your life. That's amazing. And to me, it seems like it, any challenges that you've really overcome, I feel like you just like flowed, just like water. I, I, I try, I say that, that's what I aspire to, Pamela. I, I, every day I go, holy, holy crap, you failed there, you failed, you know, but, but I try, I try, that's, that, that's, I try to keep that in mind as I, as I move through life. Yeah, so w- with that, what has been your most important lesson 
throughout the years? Like one of your biggest challenges, you know, what was the, what was the lesson there? I don't like to say failures. I like to say lessons. So lessons, lessons. lessons. I think sometimes I take too long to let go. I don't like to let go. Again, I feel like there, you particularly with people, you know, I feel like there's always a lesson to learn, like I said, but that doesn't mean that you have to relive that lesson over and over and over again, right? So you can love people from a distance. And a lot of times I have been a part of a friendship or relationship where I keep on, you know, thinking, oh, um, you know, things just flow and things are going to change. And, and, you know, honestly, you've got to be responsible for yourself. And so I think I've, as I've grown older, I've gotten better at letting go and knowing when a friendship or a relationship has come to its natural conclusion. Mm. But I, you know, a lot of times it's, it's okay. It's okay to, to, you know, even in this day and age where we're dealing with divisions and friending and unfriending and whatnot, it's okay to walk away. I just think it shouldn't be your first solution, right? I think that, I think that you need to try to find that common ground, show different people the respect as humans and try to, you know, kind of connect with our common humanity. But that said, you still have to take care of yourself and learn when you're, you aren't being served, but that doesn't have to be nasty. You know, it doesn't have to end up in a big quitter mob scene. You know, it's just, it's just a quiet walking away. Right. I think that's brilliant too. I mean, that in my own experience, I've had relationships where it's like, I just tried to fix it and fix it. And like, you just, you can't, it's a two-sided thing, right? Yeah. Like it's a two-sided thing. And it's like, at one point, you got to know your own boundaries to protect your own energies. Yeah. Because when it's time for something to be let go, the more that you hang on to it, the more pain it might cause you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's so important, letting go, because it also affects you at a certain point in time, right? Not just right. the other person. Right, right. And, you know, you to use that as a little bit of a trite phrase, but you got to fill your own cup, Right. first. And I like to share my cup, but at the same time, if you're not, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't really, there's not much of you to take care of anyone else. Mm -hmm. So uh, learning when to walk away and where my boundaries are, I'm still working on that. Yeah. But I would say that's probably a lesson that I'm still trying to learn. And because I am trying to embrace so much yeah. to learn when not to embrace and, and to, and to take care of myself. Yeah. No, I, 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 I struggle with lessons that I like know that I'm supposed to know them already, but it's still a process, right? Like yeah. when to say no, like that's yeah. probably my hardest thing in the world. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then my mentors like Pam mm-hmm. to take on something else again, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. You gotta like, you know, take it easy. And I'm just like, it is so hard and it's a process, but I, I totally, I totally get it. You know, it's a, it's a work, it's a work in progress. Well, it's funny too. Someone, a a good friend of mine who knows me even perhaps better than myself. uh, He, he said to me one day, I came in and I was like, and then I'm doing this and then I'm doing that. And then there's, he goes, okay, first of all, have you ever looked into adult ADHD? (laughs) No. And then he, he, he started describing it to me. I go, holy crap. I am a functioning 
adult ADHD person. So that, but, but what I realized through that conversation is I think ADHD has served me well because I'm allowed, it gives me more energy to take on more things, but I also don't, like you said, I don't know how to say no. (laughs) Right. Right. It's so hard. And, and, and I find myself and, you know, my, my family will even stop me and be like, you've got like, not only are you not taking care of yourself, like you're putting other things in front of your family. And for me, family is like that, that is my foundation. That is my, my everything. That's my tribe. You know, that's, it's my, it's where I pull my strength from. And so when I see not, it's one thing, it's hard for us sometimes to see that we're not taking care of ourselves. Right. Right. Um, and maybe even more so for women than, than men. But when your family says, not only are you not taking care of yourself, but you're not taking care of us. When those most important people in your life tell you that you're like, oh crap, you're right. Right. And it's taken those up going back to the question of lessons. I mean, I think the lessons they've had to be come to me from other people. Right. And that makes me sad. It makes me sad that I had to wait until my son or my husband was like, Hey, right. Remember me? Right. No, that's happened to me recently too. You mm-hmm. know, and it's just like, they, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, you're so caught up in this, this, and this, like, mm-hmm. hi. And I'm just like, or you have an experience that reminds you how short life is. And you're yeah. just, what am I doing? <laughs> like, it's like, I can't be working all the time. I got to, you know, you just don't yeah. even know. So I, I totally get it, but we're a work in progress, right? I guess right. we are. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, Pamela, you and I are, are the same too, where it's just like, I just, I'm like, I'm trying to change the world here, y'all. <laughs> right. No big, you know, trouble, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, we could eat dinner an hour later. Seriously. <laughs> I know. You begin, this is like, oh, I just want to, you know, because you want to do it all. Right. And yeah. you're, 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 especially when you're passionate about it, you're like, I just want to get, I want to get it done. Like for you, I'm sure this is such a powerful thing. Truth in between is a very powerful thing. It's very passionate, you know? So yeah. you want to spread that message and that love to the world, like as quickly as you possibly can, you know? So I totally, I totally get it. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have ADHD too. I just have <laughs> because I just can't stay still I just yeah. like <laughs> all the time. well we've obviously like I said I didn't even dawn on me that maybe I I do until my friend like started describe ticking off things and I was like oh yeah I go but then I was like well yay me because that's how I've been in, you know, like I embraced it I was like well that's no wonder I'm doing this but I, I but at the same time it was a nice realization to go okay that's great that you've got the energy but you also, uh, you, that's why sometimes you take on too much. And so that self-realization that it's kind of, I'm hardwired that way was actual a really helpful self-realization for me to, to be able to pull back a little bit. Mm. And that leads me to sort of my, my final question to you is, what would your older self tell your younger self with all that you know now? It would be to let go to, it would be what we were just talking about to know where my boundaries are mm. earlier in my life uh, so that I could, that doing that would have given me a different focus or it would have allowed me to focus more. I also, you know, it took the current political situation that we're in right now for me to really find and develop this passion. And I'm so glad that I did, but I love writing. And I was one of those people that, you know, writing's hard. It's hard for me. I love it, but it's hard. And so 
whenever I was felt the need to write, I'd kind of push it off. I'd push it off and I'd push it off. And I wish that I had developed that skill a little earlier in my life or, you know, dabbled in it a little bit more, but I was scared. Mm. I was scared to write. And it took a crisis for me to put myself out there. And so I would tell myself to like, to let that go, to let that go. And, and I would have started writing earlier. I would have started trying to connect in meaningful ways earlier and try to, to hone that skill earlier. I love what I'm doing now. And I really feel like yeah, I say all that, but I feel that everything comes in its own appointed time. So while I say I wish that I would have done it earlier and I wish that I wouldn't have been afraid earlier, I also think that um, the timing was what was meant to be. So I don't look back with any regret per se, but if I could tell my younger self to write that book earlier or to write that article, that's what I would have done. That's what I do. And not to be so afraid. And I'm so glad that you're living your passion out now too. But like you said, everything... The universe's timing is yep. always perfect, right? Yep. And as much as we want to be like, eh, I but like, here it is, you know? And now I, I know that it's only going to magnify for you, which is so exciting. And now you've got to let everybody know where to find you. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, two places. The podcast is, well, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on all the Spotify's, all the places. But I do have a, a website for the podcast. It's Hold My Drink podcast.com. I also have a website for truth in between, and you can access both on either or, but that's truth So yeah, come check it out. Let me know what you think. I, and you know, I just, I love feedback. I love, I, I love people giving me their, their views, even if it's, you know, constructive criticism, that's, that's how I move forward. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Give me suggestions. Give me views. I'm all in. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's been such an honor having you. You are so awesome. And I love your light and your passion. So I'm so excited <laughs> to see what you do next and watch Truth In Between sort of take off and, you know, become an international pen pal program. That'd be Ooh. so cool. Wouldn't that be? <laughs> yes. Thank you so, so much. Oh, uh, thank you, Pamela. You are so awesome too. You're such a light in you know this world and bringing people, you know, just offering these new experiences for people. So I'm, I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much. You're awesome. It was truly an honor to have you. You know, I always say there's never any coincidences in this life, right? Nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> the only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>